Becca, thank you very much. Great job this morning. I'm glad that Becca's here. How about that, huh? The last time I got applause is when I say we're done early. Let that sink in for a second. Thank you for that. Thanks for being with me. This morning we're going to learn about trust. Sometimes it's the little things. Like we walk out of church, I'm standing in the lobby, and I see a man off in the corner. And I think, you know, I should, should probably go talk to that person. But then I'm thinking, well, that could be a really awkward conversation. Or he may ask me to do something that I don't really want to do because my day's all planned. Or the worst thing for a pastor is he could say, Hi, my name is so-and-so. And I could say, oh, have you come before? Is this your first time? No, I've been here for 20 years, pastor. And so I'm standing there thinking, should I or shouldn't I? And I'm sure that's a question you've asked in various situations in your life where there is a risk where you might get hurt, things might not go well. Should I or shouldn't I? That's a question Jacob, Joseph's father, was asking as he prepared to go and meet his son in Egypt. And though he longed to go there and to be with his family, he also knew that there was a risk. And so he went before God to receive confirmation, to be comforted. Should I or shouldn't I? And this morning I want to learn from Jacob because as he waited to hear from God, God was good and God gave him direction. And so, if you feel the prodding of God, if you feel the call of God, don't be afraid. Do something about it. And you'll watch God do amazing things through it. So let's take our Bibles and let's take a look at this text because it really is interesting to see how Jacob approaches this. It's Genesis 46, beginning in verse 1. If you want to grab that Bible in the pew rack in front of you, it's on page 39. And you can also, of course, be on the Ridgewood app and go to Media, Sermons, Study Guides, and then just tap to today's date. Genesis 46, beginning in verse 1. So remember, Joseph has finally revealed himself to his family. And as he revealed himself to his brothers, there was a tremendous amount of weeping, embracing, full reconciliation happened. But now the next step is to get Jacob to Egypt. And Pharaoh had given Joseph the blessing to bring his whole family and had even sent help to get the family to Egypt. But Jacob had to decide if this is what he wanted to do. But it was important that he took this seriously because we know that the idea of Jacob getting to Egypt would secure the fact that Israel had escaped the famine, could become a great nation and would usher in Jesus Christ, Savior of the world. And so while I'm trying to figure out 
how to talk to that man in the lobby. We're talking about a very high stakes decision that Jacob has to make. And so let's take a look at verse one. And what we'll see here is that Jacob wanted to go, but he wanted to seek out God first, because although Joseph had given him an invitation, he wanted to know what God had to say. Verse one. So Israel, that's Jacob, took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. So before entering Egypt, Jacob stops. And it's a familiar place. And he finds this familiar place in which to encounter God. Some of you have familiar places that you like to go when you want to hear from God. It's a, a nook or cranny in your house or it's a place somewhere away from everyone else where you can talk to God. This is what Jacob was seeking. This is a very special place for his family. This is where Abraham, Abraham had come and made sacrifices when he had to go to Egypt. This is the place where Jacob would hear from God, because going to Egypt for him was a big risk. But this is, this is so interesting. If you look at Genesis 12.10, now there was a famine in the land. So Abram, soon to become Abraham, went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Now, isn't that interesting? The famine was severe in the land. Same scenario. And Abram would take his wife, Sarah, soon to become Sarah, and travel to Egypt. And Jacob must have known that didn't turn out very well. Because when Abraham entered with Sarah, she was so beautiful that he feared that Pharaoh or members of his court would take his wife and kill him And so, like a great leader, he said, Honey, why don't you just tell them that you're my sister, then they'll take you and they'll save my life. And so, almost unconscionably, he allows his wife to be taken in as a wife of Pharaoh. And the whole thing, of course, unraveled when Pharaoh found out about this. He told Abraham, Just take all of your stuff and go. So Jacob knew that. Jacob also knew that there had been a promise in Genesis 15 that one day his people would go into bondage in Egypt. And so he's weighing all of these alternatives. He's trying to decide, is this really what God wants me to do? He desperately wanted to see Joseph. He desperately wanted to hear from God in this place. Jacob is an old man now. He's 130 years old. That's old. And he still was going to live 17 more years. He had seen a lot. He had experienced a lot. But you could almost see him now in the middle of the desert waiting on God. Spiritual wrestling match. And this was no new thing for Jacob. Those of you who know Scripture, Genesis 32, you know that Jacob had a wrestling match with a supernatural being. Jacob believed it was God himself. 
They wrestled. Jacob's hip went out of joint. Which I find interesting, but because before God could use Jacob, he had to have a limp. But the Bible says he hung on. And he received the name Israel, which means striving with God. And so now he's not in a physical wrestling match, but he's in a spiritual wrestling match. Should I go or shouldn't I go? God, what do you want me to do? He was wondering, what is Joseph like? What are, what, what are my sons like? But if you look at verses 2 through 4, you can see that as he waits on God and asks this question, and as he decides, should I play this safe or should I step out in faith, God appears and speaks. Verse 2, And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. By the way, those words are, are music to the ears of God. Not why, can you do more? Just, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. Meaning to go south into Egypt. For there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt. And I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Joseph will be with you when you die. This is the promise. And he also reiterates the covenant promise, that through you I will make a great nation. So you need to be in Egypt, because that's where you're going to multiply. That's where you're going to become a nation that births Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now he had direction. Now he knew God's call, and so he was on his way. But this is one thing that we can really learn from this exchange, is that God does speak, and we need to learn how to listen. A lot of times we do all the talking, and it's like God's going, uh, uh, Paul, you know. But look at the dialogue here. It's God that's talking. I am God, the God of your Father. I am Elohim, the Mighty One. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because I'm going down to Egypt with you. I will go with you. What a great promise. Because Jacob was willing to wait on God, to be comforted, to know that this is what God wanted him to do. Now, it's easy to look at this and say, well, Paul, I mean, come on. If God just spoke to me every day, I would know exactly what to do all of the time. So he had it pretty easy. God said, go, go to Egypt. You know, I've, I've had job offers before. Didn't know what car to buy. It'd be nice if God would just say, buy the blue one. And I'd be all set. But here's the fallacy in that. The fallacy in that is people that have listened to God, who walked with Jesus and saw his miracles and heard his teaching, still fell away. So Jacob needed to trust what he was hearing. But God still speaks today. But we have to listen to what he's saying to us. Here's how he speaks today. First, God speaks primarily through his 
word. God speaks primarily through the Bible. And this is really important to understand because popular books are really good. Devotionals are really good. Sermons can be so helpful. But none of them are written by God. This book is written by God. It is his letter to us. This is how God speaks primarily to us through his word. And it's so important that we get to know scripture, that we stop and we understand what God is trying to say to us. Here are some verses that help us understand the veracity of the Bible. Second, Timothy three, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training for righteousness. that The man of God may be complete or competent, equipped for every good work. Everything you need is right here in Scripture. I also look at Hebrews 4.12. For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The Bible is a living, breathing document. And then finally in James We see this interesting promise. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. All of this is in this book, the Bible. I love Oswald Chambers, but he's not inspired scripture. I love Charles Spurgeon. He's not inspired scripture. This is what we need to lean on. There's an interesting study that I, I took up here, looked at, and, and this is from LifeWay Research. It's now five years old, but you'll, you'll get the trends. This is among churchgoers in America, okay? The study shows that only 19% of churchgoers personally, not as part of the worship service, but other times, personally read the Bible every day. That's roughly the same as those who responded rarely or never, which is 18%. A quarter of respondents indicate they read the Bible a few times a week. 14% say they read the Bible once a week, while only 22% say once a month or a few times a month. That's churchgoers. Amongst born-again believers, the trends aren't that much better. The point is, is the Bible's getting lost somewhere in this climate that we live in. And so, for me, the Bible is my breath of life. It's where God speaks to me. It's where God encourages me. It's where God reproof and rebukes me. And so what I do each morning, I get up early, and I go through one verse a day from a New Testament book. Right now I'm in 1 Thessalonians. I study the verse, I jot down notes in a journal, do takeaway personally, God speaks through that. And then I do Bible reading through the year, so whatever passages are involved with that, I'll read that, and then I'll read a psalm. And then I pray. And by the time I pray, God has spoken to me already in Scripture. And so I can go to God and pray, and I can have all of this Holy Spirit-inspired new knowledge 
new inspiration, new depth of the understanding of my sin, and I can begin to pray because God speaks through Scripture. So I encourage you to make this book the largest part of your life, not just a little part of it. But God also, this is closely tied to it, God speaks through the Holy Spirit. God speaks through the Holy Spirit who is, has been sent by Jesus to counsel us, to convict us, to encourage us, to give us wisdom, to help us to know what to do. In the book of Isaiah, we see this beautiful passage. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. This is the way. Walk in it. And so Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit speaks primarily, though, through the Bible. Remember, in 1 Peter 1.21, the Bible says that the Bible is written by men who were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so He can teach you as you read. A good prayer when you pick up your Bible is, Spirit, open my heart and mind to what I'm about to read. Because He knows the content. He kind of led those guys to write it. And this is what Jesus said his primary role is. It's to glorify Christ. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but wherever he hears, he will whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the The largest role that the Holy Spirit plays is to glorify Christ. And He will speak to you about lifting up the name of Jesus. Be careful not to use the Holy Spirit to go on a treasure hunt for new spiritual highs. Or to use the Holy Spirit to try to create miracles. He'll do them when He wants to. But his primary role is to glorify Christ. So if you're at a conference or you're going to a church and all you hear about is the Holy Spirit, you never hear about Jesus, something's off there. But the Spirit does speak. And then God also speaks through Scripture, Spirit, and He speaks through godly friends. And this is why community is so vitally important. We need to be in community so our friends can help us. Good and godly friends. The Bible is full of this about community and friends. If we take a look at the book of Proverbs, there's lots here. Proverbs 13, 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. Be careful who your friends are. Your friends will dictate your wisdom and foolishness to a large degree. Another Proverbs 27 Verse 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. In other words, be in community and be willing to be reproved because that's sweeter than being kissed and flattered by people that don't really care about you. And then in Galatians 6, 1, brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. All this is about community. All this is about listening to good and godly friends. When your friends are rooted in Scripture, when they're walking with God, they will give you wise counsel. 
God has blessed me with incredible men all through my Christian walk that I could go to and say, listen, man, I don't know what to do. And because they're older and wiser, they can say, let me ask you some questions. Let's, let's narrow this down. And they can also look at me and say, you're way off track on this one, my friend. But I so appreciate their mentorship in my life. And so God is still speaking. And then the last thing I would say is God speaks through circumstances. Remember the guy in the lobby? That poor guy that's out there right now probably going like, oh, they're talking about me in there. So if I come out and, and I see this man standing over in the corner, and I'm going like, yeah, maybe I should go talk to that guy. But I look to my right, and my family, i got one child screaming. i got one child about ready to throw up. My wife wants to go home right now. Then maybe that's a sign that I shouldn't go talk to him. Circumstances aren't lining up, so I take a name. Maybe I call them the same day. But circumstances will help you, but they must line up with the Word, the Spirit, and godly counsel. Jacob saw circumstances. His family was on their way to Egypt. He knew who Joseph was now, but he still wanted confirmation from God that this was the right path. He wanted to be comforted. I love that verse. This is the way, walk in it. So Joseph knew now what God wanted him to do. God was speaking, but he needed to believe. And this is really important for us, that we can learn to believe. When God speaks, we can learn to believe what he's saying. Now, Jacob knew a little bit about what God was doing. He he was wiser than his sons. Remember when Joseph first had the dream and everyone was mocking him? And Jacob said, the Bible said Jacob kept the sayings in mind. So he was by no means a perfect man, but he was wiser than his sons. And so he knew God was doing something. He was on the way. He was moving. But he could have never known the full extent of God's plan that, that Israel would leave Canaan, go to Egypt, become a great nation, go into slavery, be delivered by Moses, another forecast of Jesus, the type of Christ, the split kingdoms, the judges, through the whole thing, the prophets, all the way leading up to Messiah. He wouldn't have known all of that, but he did know that God was moving. And when God said, go, he went because he believed God. And sometimes it's hard to believe in the promises of God. It's hard in real-life situations, but, but there's a promise here that God understands. And you can trust. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is such a great passage. You know this one. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. And so you can step into difficult situations, and you can let those words echo that Jacob heard, I will go with you. And if you want to flip that to the New Testament, Jesus said, I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. And so when there's, you know, there's tension at home. Now, Wendy and I, you know, we're in ministry, so we don't really have tension. We just have a slight disagreement that sometimes, you know, just needs to be worked out in different ways, but not fighting your tensions because we're in ministry. 
So theoretically, I'm talking now. She's got it made, though. She lives with a great guy. There, that. I could say that because she's not sitting right here this morning. But she's up there, so I'm still in trouble. But you, you face tension in the home, and, and you know you need, you feel that prompting of God to go to your spouse or go to whoever you're feeling that tension with, and, and you say, can we talk about this? And that's a risky thing to say because it may end up being your fault. It may end up being a sloppy conversation. It may end up being a heated argument. But you can take that first step and know that I will go with you. People ask you all the time, how are you doing? And your reflex is, fine. When I used to do radio talk, people would go like, i go like, line one, Bob, you're on. And they would say, Paul, how are you tonight? Fine, thank you. Get to your question. Don't do that. But what your reflex is, is to say, I'm fine. But inside, you're dying. And you need to find community. And so you want to, you want to tell somebody who you really are. You want to take your mask off. But you're afraid that you won't be loved anymore. But you can because God said, I will go with you. Your death's piling up. And with it comes shame. If anybody found this out, they would think, I'm such a bad steward. I'm not a good Christian. But you need help. And you want to ask for help? You can. Because I will go with you. And there's someone in your family, a relative, a former churchgoer, someone in this congregation that you're just not right with. And you're carrying around anger and bitterness toward that person. Or you know, even scripturally, that they're angry with you. And, and going toward reconciliation seems like death, man. That just isn't going to go well. If God's prodding you to do it, you can, because I will go with you. That's the promise. And if you want to go talk to that guy in the lobby, God will go with you there too. You see, this is what faith is. And as I've lived my own life, I've been strengthened baby step by baby step by baby step. Through death and through blending of families and all of these things where I've just had to trust and trust and I know that God's work in my life is to keep me on the edge of the cliff so that I have to keep saying, I need you, I need you, I need you, I need you. Help, help, help. And as I say those words, God answers, and I get more faith. And then I say those words, and God answers, and I get more faith. That's what the Christian life is all about. And really the question that, the question that Jacob is asking here, should I or shouldn't I, is really do I believe enough to do it? Because he's grappling with God. Now he's heard clearly, and he's going to do something about it. Look at verses 5 through 7. This is where now the action starts. He's going to head to Egypt. He's obeying God. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, their little ones, and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. I'm still amazed by how much capital Joseph had gained in Egypt 
that Pharaoh's doing his bidding for him. Verse 6, they also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughter and his sons' daughters, all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. Israel was saved. They're out of the famine. They're in Egypt, where we'll learn in the next couple of weeks how God would plant them there and help them to flourish. But the thing that we have to understand is that believing and trusting God, that's what leads to obedience. You have to do something about it. Otherwise, you don't learn to obey. If, if, jo- if Jacob would have said no, then the, the, the messianic plan, the plan for Israel, would, God wouldn't have been able to develop that because Israel needed to get to Egypt. Now, I'm sure God would have found another way, but that's what was happening. And so he trusted the fact that God would go with him. You know, as a church, if we feel that God is prodding us to do things, we can step out in faith. We can, we can believe and we can trust that God is with us. When we want to create community groups and we want to minister to our community and create a disability ministry for families in our church, we want to multiply, we want to develop leaders. In the midst of all of that, there's, you know, there's high risk. Something can and will go wrong. But I just got a note from, from Caleb and Hannah Paler this week. Maybe some of you did too. They're in Lebanon because people took a risk and now they're on the mission field. And so we need to remember these words. I will go with you. And when God prods you, it's time to act. And when you act, the consequences aren't always immediate. You don't always get what you want. But what happens is you are deepened and your faith grows deep roots and you become closer to Jesus, which is the point of the whole thing. Because Jesus is the point of the whole thing. And so this morning, who or what is on your heart? As you've been reading the text, as I've been speaking, what has come to your mind? Who do you need to reconcile with? What attitude do you need to change? What do you need to do that to you seems perilous, risky, and sometimes like death? I'm just here to say, when you step out and take that chance, and it's all lined up with Scripture, God will go with you. So let's take a moment and pray. And maybe this is the time to give that thing, whatever it is, or that person, to God. Let's pray. God, we, we're all convicted by this because we all have stuff that we're holding on to, ways in which we're rebelling against you, people that we haven't reconciled with, bitterness that we carry around with us, So, God, I'm just going to be quiet for a moment. And will you please just speak into the lives of this flock? Who is it? And what is it?
Jesus, thank you for that promise. Lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So we can step out in faith and we can know that we're never alone. Individually and as a church. So now we're going to celebrate that truth. And we're going to praise you for that truth. And we're going to thank you for being faithful and good and constant. And that when you speak to us, it is for our good and it is for the good of the kingdom. And we praise you and thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.